Hello everyone, this is our part four of our Ezra chapter seven series. Uh, we talked about how this, this whole week we talked about what, uh, what are the people that God uses. Uh, we talked about how first God uses someone that is, um, as of godly character. And godly character is defined by someone who knows God's word, who learns God's word, studies it, applies it to their life, and then teaches it to other people. And not only that, but these godly character, when uh, when they're walking closely with the Lord, they will act. Uh, these are people who are bold for Christ. These are people who are not afraid to do do things for the Lord because they know uh, their life is um, is belongs to the Lord. There's a stewardship aspect to it, so they do all that they can in the life that they have for the glory of God. And that looks different in every context. Uh, some people uh, they're just gonna as students, you're gonna you're just gonna be able to work hard and be able to maybe get uh, maybe develop certain friendships with people that would allow you to share the gospel with them. Uh, for people that are working, you might be your faithfulness and your job may be able to get you into maybe a higher position. But more than that, you might even have a, a gospel influence on those that are under you. Um, and same thing with families. If you're in a family, um, if, you have, if you have non-believers in your family, whether it's your parents or your kids, uh, the more you live out godly character, and the more you act in ways that are pleasing to the Lord, um, you know, people will start noticing and you gain a level of influence and trust with those around you because they see your godly character and godly character is, is attractive to even non-Christians. Um, so that's why these things all kind of add up, they kind of build upon each other. You can't act without godly character, otherwise you're a hypocrite. Um, and you can't have godly character without action, otherwise you're also a hypocrite because you're not trusting the Lord. So you need to have all, uh, both of these. And as you do these things, in the end, you, uh, God uses those who trust him the most. And that's what we're going to see today uh, as a closing of our lesson, chapter 7. God uses those who trust in him the most. Uh, and we see this at the end of, toward the end of chapter 7. Uh, so the story goes here where um, King Artaxerxes gives Ezra this decree uh, where basically all Persians decree that everything that they have, they can take from, everything that the, the Israelites need, they can take from the Babylonian, um, basically their, their bank, uh, their money vault. Uh, they, they take all the gold that they need, all the animals they need to offer to the Lord. And in verse 25, it says, this, it says this, You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the law of your God, and you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and will and the king of the, the law of the king, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. Uh, so there's judgment so Artaxerxes gives Ezra uh, um, a job. He's like now you can go and teach the Torah or basically most of the Old Testament, to everyone in the land. That becomes a standard law of the land. And you recall, I've said that the reason why that was a political move, but it benefited the, the nation spiritually as well. And um, verse 27, uh, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our Father, who has put such a thing at this, as this in the king's heart, to adorn the house of the God, uh, of the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselor and before all the king's mighty princes thus i had i was strengthened according to the hand of the lord my god upon me and i gathered leading men from israel to go up with me so it was really cool because he uh 
he praises the Lord, uh, but he praises the Lord for how he, he placed the desires of uh, this desire into the king's heart to allow them to all go back in uh, to the land and with all the resources that they have. And uh, but what's unique, even I think beyond Ezra, is like he has no clue how God is going to use this. Uh, we're in chapter seven now of ten, but he, uh, yes, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah uh, uh, help uh, rebuild the temple and rebuild the city, um, and but more important that they rebuilt the spiritual condition of Israel. But what I think that they didn't realize is is, is the big picture: how this small event here actually ha- is actually more significant. Than, than we would realize. And for this, we actually need to go to Daniel chapter 9. In the book of Daniel, this is actually chronologically before Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Daniel was during the time of captivity, uh, and um, Daniel was there, and as he was getting old, he realized something. He, as he was reading the scriptures, he realized that um, uh, that God's word is going to be fulfilled. He he read through the book of Jeremiah, and he said that there was about seven years, and he realized, oh wait, <coughs> a seven year in Babylon captivity <coughs> is going to come soon. And then he ponders and wonders, wait, does that mean that, uh, <coughs> uh how is this going to work? He, how, how is God's people going to get back into the land? Because he doesn't understand, at the, based on the condition that they're at right now, how this is even possible. Um, remember, they were, Daniel chronologically is before Ezra and Nehemiah, so, he has no clue what this looks like, um, he, but yet he gets a prophecy that tells him what it is. Uh, so Daniel chapter 9 begins with this. In the, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king of the kingdom of Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed the, the books of Numbers of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for, for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Um, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant <clears throat> and love and kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquities, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, the land. Um, so he explains, you know, like uh, he, he's reading the Bible, the Old Testament. He reads Jeremiah. He realized 70 years is almost up. And then in, in verse 24, chapter 9, he explains that uh, he gets a vision really uh, from the Lord or from angel. Gabriel gives him this vision to saying that, like, okay, uh, after the 70, 70 years, there's going to be a time where... Um, People will start making sacrifices. They'll rebuild the city. And when they rebuild the city, 490 years later, the Messiah will come. The, the Messiah will come, and he will be kicked out of that temple. The temple will be rebuilt. Uh, he will not be wanted in that same temple. And this is a prophecy that points to Jesus. So this temple that Ezra is actually being part of is, is part of God's sovereign plan in ushering in a fulfillment of what happened, of, of, um, of, of the coming of Christ. And we know the New Testament, this is exactly what happens. It's not even that, just that it happened, but it happened exactly in terms of the time frame. Um, somewhere down the line, maybe we'll go through this um, together. But basically, there's uh, three sets of, uh, of numbers, of units, that adds up in terms of years to 490 years. So 490 years after the temple is rebuilt, after the, even, even states about how the law, the Torah will be the law of the land. 
basically everything that's happened in the book of Ezra. When this event happens, 490 years later, the, the, uh, the, the Messiah will come, and then he will be rejected in the same temple. And then and, and it starts bringing in the, the first coming of Christ. And then at the end of chapter Daniel 9, it speaks of the second coming as well. And this is significant because if you look at this, you have to wonder, does Ezra even know that this is happening? Like, does he know how big of a role that he has in this? Maybe, maybe not. The text doesn't say. Um, but he just did what he believed was best. He wanted to rebuild the temple because he wanted people to uh, ha- make sacrifices for the Lord, to, to have a right relationship with him. But he has no clue that this is that same temple that he's going to build. That same temple is the one being the one where Jesus is going to teach. He's going to be uh, rejected from all those, uh, the people that are there. Um, that same place is going to be the, the place that uh, Jesus said, I will destroy this temple. And three days later, it'll come back. And they thought, oh, well, it took years for this temple to be made. This is that exact same temple. And then those people that are in the land are going to be the ones that reject Jesus down the line. Again, this shows us that God is in control over every circumstance. Faithful Christians must act according to Scripture and trust that the Lord will use it, even if they don't see how everything plays out. Our job and responsibility as a Christian is not to actually discern all the secret things of the Lord, but to be faithful to what is revealed to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us this, um, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. We are called uh, not to discern and know everything about the God. We're just called to be faithful to what is actually uh, what is instructed, what the, the commands of Scripture and that's kind of like the downside of, um, you know, our modern day Christianity. People are so obsessed with end time things. They're so obsessed with heavenly things, but they're not obsessed with what they need to do in terms of faithful obedience at the moment. Romans 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and unfathomable his ways. God's way, the way that God works is so beyond us, uh, but he uses every little detail that's ultimately for his glory. And we may not know. Uh, we, uh, we do ha- <coughs> what we do, what we have uh, is, is the word of God. And we don't, know how, we, have, we don't have a clue on how God is going to use it. But God is going to use it. And one day when we, when we find out how God uh, orchestrated every little thing, we'll, we will be amazed at how God has controlled every little detail. If God is control of all the big picture things, he's also in control of the details in our lives. So in, in this time, and during all this COVID and unrest and everything, somehow God is using this for his glory. And even as I see it in the church that are divided over uh, how to apply certain things or returning or not returning, somehow the, uh, the Lord is using it. The Lord may even allow the devil to do his act, do whatever he needs, but, but the devil is God's devil. The devil doesn't escape the sovereign hand of God. God knows exactly what he's doing. Um, and we can trust in that. We don't need to worry about what's going to happen. We just need to be faithful in the moment, and that God will use it. And these are the type of people that God uses. God uses people that ultimately trust him. So again, just as a uh, way of review, going back from the first point, is that you need to be a, a godly individual that acts with godly wisdom and trust in God's timing over all things. And when you are someone like this, you can do a lot of things for the Lord. Um, because you're not held back by, um, by, by confusion. You know what God's word has to say. You know how to act. You know how to live. 
and you just do everything in, in, in the situation that you're in for the glory of God. Some of you guys have a lot of things to do in life. You do all things with a lot. Some things you have little in life. Just be faithful with whatever you have and trust that God is using it. You don't be discontent or angry or anxious about the time. Trust that God is doing something. And you may not, you may not, and you don't need to know. That's what uh, even the end of Job was about. Uh, when Job wanted to an answer from the Lord, the Lord just gave him a whole bunch of questions that actually reveals to Job and to the reader how great our God is. And that's the thing that we think about. In terms of very difficult circumstances, we just need to be faithful until the end. And I hope that that's all of us, that our church are known for people who live godly lives and take godly actions and trust in God's timing. Let me close this uh, section with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word, and we're so grateful to have your word to see not just how you use, not just for recorded history, but also future prophecy, things that we would look forward to, anticipate. Lord, may at the moment in time, we don't know where we are in terms of your, in terms of your sovereign plan, uh, but we trust and know that you are in control. And may we just be faithful in the moment, whether you come today, uh, tomorrow, or even a thousand years from now. Uh, may we just be faithful with the life that you've given us. May we act with uh, courage and boldness. Um, and may we uh, trust in you in all things. Thank you for allowing us to go through this text. We thank you for your sense. Amen.